you're listening to the Saluki Games Cast. This is episode 32 for December 16th, 2022. My name is Justin Young. Joining me, as always, are Ryan Friels and OJ Duncan. And our special guest this week is Mario Sanders. Mario, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty all right. It's the last day of finals week, and i uh, got one paper submitted. I've got one more to finish up, but happy to take a little bit of a break. So if you don't finish your finals, it is entirely the fault of this podcast. Yes, I will direct Sandy to you. Oh, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> Sandy, please send all your angry emails to Justin. At- <laughs> I, I really don't want to receive any angry emails from Sandy over Christmas break. <laughs> Not that I normally do, but that's the reason I don't want to receive any. I feel like we need to have Sandy on here at some point because we've mentioned her enough. Like, Yeah, well, I mean, we've had her on Saluki Games content before yeah, we she have. was on the uh, riff tracks yeah episode. but yeah we could have her on here she could talk about her childhood playing zelda mm-hmm. so um ryan oj how are you doing i'm sleepy it's the it it's that time of semester justin <laughs> I, i'm uh alicia is that you <laughs> <laughs> no she's somewhere updating a controller um she literally sent us an image this week <laughs> I, of her updating a controller yes, i saw um, I'm I'm doing good. I it's just it's been a busy week, and I'm I'm ready to sleep for a little while. Um, I I was going to try to get more work done today, but I think I'm just going to going to rest and and do that tomorrow. Um, but it, it's been good. I I've watched some good movies. I watched a, and I I my pronunciation is awful, so I'm not going to do him the disservice. I'm just going to say his middle last name. But I watched Del Toro's Pinocchio. And it's a damn good stop-motion animated film, and it takes place, like, in Italy during World War II. So there's some there's some relevant political commentary that very much lines up with stuff that's gone in, on in America for a while. And I like how they do that to complicate the whole idea of Pinocchio, you have to be a good and obey your, the adults. It's like, does he, though? <laughs> Is that always the right thing in fascist Italy? Like... So, like, you know, they is, complicate is that. Is Geppetto a fascist in this? No, but at first he's kind of just complicit and doesn't fight against it. And, oh, okay. And Pinocchio um, starts off trying to listen to Geppetto, and, but he, after working for a circus uh, dude that um, loves Mussolini, uh, Pinocchio decides to start rebelling at one point. And that, those are already kind of spoilers, so I'll stop there. <laughs> But it's, so Pinocchio is going to become a real patriot instead of a real boy. <laughs> I mean, and in this case, like an anti-nationalist patriot, I guess. Uh, like he's he's fighting against the system. The, yeah, the true meaning of a patriot, not the <laughs> right. co-opted version, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, like just the animation is so beautiful. This is Del Toro's first, like I think, fully animated film, and just hits it out of the park. Uh, the the designs of the the characters that are in the place of the blue fairy. Um, I, I think one is a, a sprite of some sort, and I can't remember. I think the other characters, uh, just death, really. Uh, so beautifully animated. I, I highly recommend it. And I also watched, uh, me and a friend finished uh, Linklater's Before Trilogy by watching the movie Before Midnight, which has, which was directed by Richard Linklater and uh, stars Julie Delpy and uh, Ethan Hawke, it is an amazing, beautiful film about, and it's a continuation of a story of just, like, t- two people, like, and their relationship over, like, and the movies take place over 20 years, and this is the ending 
of that trilogy, and it's just a strong, beautiful, ambivalent, and, and also in very places, very melancholic end. I love it. Cool. Uh, yeah, those, those are great films. Um, I haven't watched them in quite a while, but like I remember liking them quite a bit. Uh, OJ, how things uh, been with you? Oh, pretty good. Um, I don't really have that time of the semester right now, so... Yeah, you keep uh, rubbing that in. <laughs> uh, this is probably the only time I'll be able to say that for a very long time, so I, I need to repeat it to myself, remind me why I'm here. But, yeah, uh, so I'm I'm doing well. He was really rubbing it in while he was, like, yelling it at me, while he was, like, grinding my face into the broken glass <laughs> on, like, the, at the parking lot. Like, yeah. Grade those papers, Ryan, huh? Grade them. <laughs> yeah, well, so at some point we're, we are going to get a call about, is OJ really picking on Ryan? Is, is Ryan okay? Um, all right, yeah, it's been it's the end of the semester. It's our finals week, so um, for the most part, finals are over. Everyone's wrapping up, either writing papers or grading. I'm on the grading side right now, but I should be done this afternoon. So then it's just, you know, celebrate, have a few weeks off, and enjoy the time off for a change. Um, all right, well, let's jump right into the uh, what you've been playing. And, Ryan, why don't you start us off? What have you been playing? So, uh, I mean, one is just Marvel Snap. Uh, there's not really much new to say there. I think I've uh, been, like, strategizing more with like uh, decks that allow me to move around the place and those are like a lot more fun and exciting than I expected them to be like the ones where I'm moving my cards or like around locations so are you using like vision yeah and vision crawler and like and then like uh, also like um vulture who if you move him to a certain like you know to another location he gets plus five attack mm-hmm. or uh like craven who if you if you move people location season, he gets like plus two. And depending on how much moving, like if you have Heimdall who moves everybody at some point, or if you have, uh, I think it's cloak that you can transport people over around him. If you put him with Craven, you can rack up points on Craven really quickly. Craven has like become a pretty powerful card for me. Um, but also I recently got, uh, the, Infinite, I think is what he's called, and he's like, as long if you miss, he's kind of like Hyper Beam in Pokemon. You have to skip one turn, basically, although if you have Sunspot, that's a good duo, because Sunspot gains points for magic points you don't use, or mana points, or whatever you'd call them. But um, as long as you do that, and then you can play uh, the Infinite, he's like a 20 attack. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I've had fun using him. The main thing I think to talk about is I've I've played more of Harvestelia. i finished i've been playing the demo and i finished chapter one and i think i'm kind of in the middle of chapter two and i'm really sad to say i feel like i'm already done um here's where my issue like so i really wanted to love this game and there's things i deeply appreciate about it like i like again the fact that uh like me i can have my character use like they them pronouns and that they can be non-binary that's awesome that's beautiful that that means a lot to me, and I want to see more of that in the future. Um, this game, to me, kind of feels like a blueprint for a better game down the road, though, in terms of gameplay. It, it seems like it has like some cool pieces, but they haven't developed them enough to be interesting in their own right. Um, the farming... Maybe I'll have to give it another shot. The farming's fun, but 
I felt like by like the second or third time I was playing it, I was already getting like tired of it. And the fighting in it, when you're going out and fighting, like and going on adventures, the fighting just isn't that exciting. Like it's, I know you're supposed to complicate because you do have like a skill tree that you go up over time, but it's working slow, very slowly to move up that. And most of my fighting is just like mashing one button. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like a very interesting variety of attacks. Um, and even the other attack I have isn't that much different than that. It's just it plus fire, basically. Um, it, it sounds like this game is very much like, here, we're going to take a, an okay farming simulator, and we're going to take an okay action RPG and kind of mush them together. But, like, they're both just kind of okay. Yeah. And they're not more than the sum of their parts. And I like... There's things I like, like I actually really like some of the character interaction and some of the story, but it also feels kind of like it's rushing so pop by so fast that I'm not really getting to fully appreciate it. And I think this is one of the weaknesses of the fact that the game's working kind of on its own clock where you need to do things by. Um, I, I can't just take my time to like walk around and appreciate it. I get the challenge of that and the possible appeal of that and also arguably kind of the... Uh, how that might help the world feel more fully realized in a sense, in the sense that there is this like time that you have to worry about. And there's board games that I feel like have done that um, to varying effect, either like, you know, in ways that worked or to their detriment Mm. Um, more often their detriment. And I think in here, it's not helping really. Um, I, there's a part of me that hopes what happens is that the, that this is kind of just like the prototype, so to speak, that got officially released as a full game, and that down the road there will be a second version of this, and that it like it develops on everything and makes it awesome because I can see where this could become a super awesome game. Um, I I think the story is like neat and it and I like the character interactions. I love like the uh, the character art in the game, like when you see them like when characters are talking and you see like, you know, their heads pop up at the bottom of the screen and like the artwork and how it's illustrated. And some people complained about the graphics, but I think that it has kind of a fairy tale look to it and the softness of the graphics that works for it. Um, and some of the designs in it are really cool, uh, but just the, the gameplay itself. And also when I am going on adventures, the, the places that I'm going to, there's not like a whole lot of variety in how they look, so it all kind of blends in. So I get lost and not in not an interesting. Okay, I got to figure out the organization of this place, but in a this all just looks kind of the same, and it's really easy to like get lost in it. Um, I don't want to be like hard on this game. I I want to again deeply appreciate what they did. That's super important to me, but it's just not the best gameplay experience. Again, I hope they do like a better game down the road. I respect and appreciate the hell out of the creator for some of the stuff they have done that are so important, but the gameplay itself still needs a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair criticism, right? Like, I mean, a, a game can do one thing that's really either important or do one thing that's really done well, but if the whole of it isn't, you know, yeah. it still may not be something you really want to engage with. Yeah, I might give it another shot or play some more of it down the road, but I don't. I think if if that though, I'm not going to buy it at full price. I'm going to wait till it goes down in price. Right. Um, yeah, but Harvestelia, uh, some beautiful ideas in this game, some beautiful artwork. The game, it, the game in and of itself though, just needs a lot of work still. All right, that sounds fair. 
Um, is that it? Yeah. All right. Uh, Mario, what have you been playing recently? Um, I haven't really played much since the end of November. I think the last two games I've played were Celeste and Razor Freestyle Scooter for the N64, but those were more speedrunning things. So those are games I play fairly regularly. November was a really big month. Um, every November, a friend does a event for his birthday where he puts together a list of 10 games and sends it to us and we beat them. So in November, I played and beat Yoshi's Island, Donkey Kong Country, Super Mario Sunshine, Hollow Cure, Super Monkey Ball 2, Cool Spot, Little Samson, Kirby Superstar, Mickey Speedway USA and Donkey Kong Donkey Kong 64 101%. So it was a big month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thanksgiving break was just no life in Donkey Kong 64 and getting yeah. all of those collectibles. I was going to say, that's a, a, a big game to 100%. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah there's definitely, definitely a lot in there. Um, and I think the fun thing about it every year is he's got some stuff from his childhood, but that's also semi-obscure i mean all of those ones i think i was pretty familiar with but even though i was familiar with them most of those were a first playthrough so Mm -hmm. it's an event that a lot of us always have fun with and you know i've completed it the last two years so this year i was also like i'm definitely gonna Mm -hmm. do it i gotta i gotta make sure that i keep that streak but um yeah other than that haven't really played a ton uh actually i guess um on Twitch, I'm participating in a mystery tournament where it's just a race setting where you don't know the game you're going to play until about five minutes before the start of the race. And so the game we played that we were given was called Chu Man Fu, where you play as a highly questionable Asian caricature. Um, it was for the Turbo Graphics 16. Um, it was a puzzle game. I feel like you could have just said it was an Asian character game for the TurboGrafx-16, and that would have cleared up that it was going to be questionable. As soon as I heard the name of that, I'm like, oh. Like, (laughs) everything on the TurboGrafx-16, I feel like, was highly questionable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, (laughs) Highly questionable content. The story of the Turbo-16. I mean, it just, it really was, and it's weird why that particular system got so many weird games like that, but there's a lot of games on there where you go back and you look at them now and you go, really? Like, somebody thought this was okay to release? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I think, like, in the, you know, they give the game and they give, like, a small little guide, and that was, like, the first thing that they, <laughs> the very first sentence. Um, it was fine. It was. <laughs> it would be better if it weren't, like, racing it. The puzzles were pretty interesting, though. Um, but other than that... What's, what sort of game is Chu Man Fu? Because I don't think I'm familiar with that. It's a puzzle game where you take these different colored balls and you have to roll them around sort of this map and get them onto the corresponding colored platform. So there'll okay. be like a red ball, a green ball, a black ball, and a blue ball, and each one does their own thing. So like the black ball was really good at breaking walls. The red ball was really good at destroying enemies and so each one kind of did their own thing and I think the only thing that was frustrating about it again because it was a race setting so trying to go fast the like 
going around corners was really precise mm. um, because you would go both forward and backwards. And if you would break a wall, you'd just be like on a post and it would be difficult to like get around it. But otherwise it, it was a pretty like interesting game. It's one that in a slow setting, I think, yeah, had some pretty interesting puzzles. Um, yeah, I think, other, you know, the, I've got a friend who's doing a big speed run thing over the next couple of weeks, so I'll probably join that once break is over. And then the other game that I have not started, but we did a, a like Secret Santa game exchange. I got Chicory, and I've heard really good things about it. Um, yeah, that's a good game. And I've, I've had it for a while, so the fact that he picked it just kind of ended up working out. And so I'll look forward to playing that over break, play it while I'm flying home because I've got it on the Switch. So um, Donkey Kong 64, going back and playing that now, like that was sort of the peak of the sort of 3D platformer collect-a-thon. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, that was the point where people said, we've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> we've done too much. There's too many collectibles in a game finally. Uh, going back and playing it now and with, you know, the hindsight of today, how does that game feel? How does it Hold up. So the I actually played it for the first time earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no sort of nostalgia for it or anything right. like that, other than like watching friends play it. Um, but even that would just be like within the past couple of years. Um, I think there's a lot about that game that's pretty fun. It is definitely very broken and very breakable. Mm-hmm. But um, and there's some rude stuff about that game. Um, the beetle race for people who are familiar and the Aztec world is maybe the least fun thing I've played in a video game recently. <laughs> um, oh but, yeah. I didn't enjoy that either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a, I think it's got a lot of stuff that's pretty fun about it. If you're willing to go into it, knowing that this is going to be kind of a hot mess at times. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I will say that made this playthrough significantly better, or at least much smoother, is there's a mod called Tag Anywhere, where rather than having to go back to the barrel to change your Kong, you can just do it, like, right there, wherever you are mm. in the world. So, you know, all of the different colored bananas for each character, you know, you don't have to, like, oh, backtrack to the barrel. Okay, now I got to mm-hmm. get chunky. Oh, backtrack to the barrel. Now I got to get tiny. Mm-hmm. You can just do it right there using the D-pad. And so it makes a playthrough much smoother. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, like, that definitely added a convenience mm-hmm. to it. And I don't – when I played it earlier this year, the Tag Anywhere mod – like it was around and it existed, but I didn't use it. And I don't know if I would play through that game without it. Right. Because the backtracking mm-hmm. in it is pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. That sounds like one of those technical limitations of the N64 at the time that you couldn't do the real-time character swapping. I could definitely see that being the case. And so, yeah, I mean, that's one of those... When they go and they do, like, remakes of games... And, you know, it, it was sort of like when they did the 3DS remake of Ocarina of Time and mm. they made it so that you could switch the boots, mm-hmm. like, just by pressing a button on the bottom screen. So it just completely changed the water temple because you're mm-hmm. not opening the menu and going through <laughs> and changing and then changing back and all that. 
I mean, you look at things like that and you go, okay, this is the use of doing a remake Mm because you can make these sorts of smart changes to a classic game Mm -hmm. and actually make that game much more playable without making it necessarily easier, just, you know, less frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is it's not an easier game by any means, but it is far more convenient and, yeah, a, a smoother playthrough. I think that's the best way I could describe it. I still think that that game has one of the best final boss fights, the uh, boxing match against K. Rule, <laughs> where each round you're using a different Kong is fantastic. Um, I I just want to say, like, something you said that just kind of, like, spoke to my soul was when you're like, that Aztec level is one of the lo- most unfun levels <laughs> I've had in a long time. Oh, God, I remember getting so mad at that level as a mm-hmm. kid. Um, that beetle race is haunting. <laughs> I think I remember trying to like. There's a part where like some like platforms come out across a wall, and it's mm-hmm. timed as to how you have to like jump around on those little platforms. And I mean, granted, I'm not good at like precision platforming anyway. But that combined with like some of the old jank of the uh, Nintendo 64 controls. Oh, <laughs> that, that that and then of course I think perhaps the most infinite infamous part of that game is Beaver Bother, which is the the bonus stage where you have to using the claptrap scare the beavers into the like the middle of the hole. But the I don't know what it is like the collision is broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like when they should go into the hole, they just like all <laughs> smash into like this invisible wall, mm-hmm. and it's. Yeah, broken collision yeah. detection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was common on the N sixty four. And uh, the, the creepy castle, which is the last stage, you have to do that one twice. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, it's a fun game. It's one that I would definitely play again. So, and that's not on the Switch N sixty four expansion pass yet, right? Donkey Kong sixty four. I don't believe so. Yeah, so that seems like something that seems like a game they would put out onto that. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's that'll. I imagine if they put it out and it's people's first time playing it, I expect to read. Oh, going back to that <laughs> tag barrel every single time is mm-hmm. not great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a, a an EverDrive for the Nintendo sixty four, so I was able to put the like modded ROM onto that so I could still play it on actual hardware because mm. that game does not emulate very well. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, fun game. I wish yeah. we got another 3D platformer with Donkey Kong. I was, I'm always kind of sad that we never mm-hmm. got, like, another mm-hmm. one that could maybe, like, polish up and refine that. And well, That was the rumor for the last, yeah. like, year and a half or so that the uh, the Mario Odyssey team was working on a new 3D Donkey Kong platformer. Oh, I'm so cheated. And, but that rumor has kind of died off because, like, the rumor was that it was coming out in the last year, and then obviously that didn't happen. There's been no news of it. So now people are wondering oh, have they actually just been working on a new Mario game for whatever the eventual uh, Switch successor is for its launch? Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll see, but that team has not been working on anything, I don't think over the last few years since the release of Mario Odyssey. So they have to be doing something. Well, I, I, bu- 
I believe in Donkey Kong 64, there's over 3,000 collectibles. And, you know, <laughs> you got to make this one even bigger. It takes yeah. a long time to make all those collectibles, Justin. Yeah, I mean, maybe 10,000 collectibles. <laughs> 100,000 collectibles. The return of the collectathon, just like the obnoxious collectathon. <laughs> it's just every inch of ground is covered with a collectible. <laughs> so you just basically have to walk everywhere. It's just constantly meters, just like a slot machine on the screen. <laughs> Like, oh. the downloadable content, collectibles. <laughs> it includes some Metroidvania stuff, so you have to go all the way back. and Right, but no convenient, like, yeah. fast moving or, or, you know, fast uh, mm-hmm. travel. And only that. one barrel you can go back to. At the beginning of the game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing each level five times. Yeah. And there's even more Kongs than there ever have been before. There's at least 50 Kongs. It's the Kong family reunion. That's the name of the game. The the Kongverse into the spider. Yeah, there you go. The Kong multiverse. What a just horrifying game that sounds like. I've got a a friend. She's a huge Donkey Kong fan. And when the Mario trailer came out, she's like, the return of Swanky Kong. You know, in the the Coliseum thing. It was like, oh. You've got all those Kongs from the Donkey Kong Country games that had their little side area. There can be like a Hank Hill Donkey Kong, like Hanky Kong. <laughs> <laughs> like a Kong that's just really obsessed with propane and propane accessories. I feel like that's a joke that nobody under 20 will at all get. <laughs> oh, I, get, I guarantee you plenty of people, plenty of people today still know about Hank Hill. Um, all right. Uh, is that it? Yeah. Mario? Yeah. All right, uh, OJ, what have you been playing? Um, so, like I said last week, I uh, started playing Final Fantasy fourteen again, and it's uh, it's I can't tell you just how much better it is now that I got to Shadowbringers, because so uh, if you're not familiar with the game, they released Final Fantasy fourteen, and it was just horrible. It was broken. Um, the classes were really horrible. The gameplay was really horrible. Um, so essentially, they just went back and like redid it from scratch. They had a really big event in game where like the world was about to be destroyed, and then like one of the main characters from Final Fantasy XIV, the original one, like apparently just like sacrificed his life and died. Then they came back with the Realm Reborn, which was like. Uh, it wasn't like a full remake, but they really redid a lot of stuff in the game. There's a really good documentary on YouTube uh, from No Clip about this, mm-hmm. and so it's worth watching, even if you're not playing the game. Yeah. It's just a cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they called it a Realm Reborn. It wasn't really an expansion; it was just they redid it, and it was it was fantastic. I started playing after a Realm Reborn started, uh, and I played through quite a bit, and then I stopped playing. Uh, mostly because of schoolwork, and I didn't really have time. Uh, and then, uh, so my uh, my husband Josh plays, and he's been playing for a long time. And then, so I started again uh, a couple of years ago, and I played through A Realm Reborn, which is really nice. I really like the story. I really like the gameplay. Um, I play a summoner, and so summoners are really fun. Um, I've always liked summoner classes. Uh, and the story was really great. And then... It went from A Realm Reborn, and the first expansion was Heaven's Word. And that was the first problem. Uh, is because the story really, really, really slowed down and got really boring for me. 
And it was just like drudging through all of this stuff. And for a lot of it, you were just running around and getting a little story. And then there's like full motion video here and then a little bit more story over here. And you're not really doing much of anything. And then uh, then you have to get together with people in a dungeon, right? Uh, and so I, I plowed through that. Um, there were some good parts about it. But really, it was just, it was kind of boring. And then there was um, the Stormblood after that. Uh, so Heavensward and then Stormblood. And Stormblood also was really, really boring and really, really slow. And so as I'm, I'm like, I'm just going through all of this stuff... And then the character summoner got really, really, really complicated. Uh, and there was like, depending on what you're doing or what you like, what you summoned, you have to summon other things. And then you you were doing a lot of damage over time, and then you had to spread that damage over time to everybody else. Um, and there were, there was just a whole lot to do for summoner. Um, and so it was boring, and I was just getting kind of overwhelmed at all the stuff that I had to do. So I stopped playing again. Uh, I heard that the next expansion was great. So then I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go back and try it again. So I finally pushed through the very end of Stormblood and started Shadowbringers, this new expansion. Or not the new one, but the new-to-me expansion. And it was like night and day between the last two expansions in this one because the story immediately got really super interesting. In between each expansion, they have like uh, little patches that they put in that add more story. So once we got to that final story, and so this has been out five or so years or so, so I, I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody, but like all of the people that you adventured through the game with before, they all just like passed out and they wouldn't, like they couldn't wake up and nobody knew why, nobody knew what was happening. And then you find out that they were being pulled to another world because there's uh, the original world that they call um, the source got split into 13 different worlds. And then they were being pulled to the first world that was split. And so it, in, in the game, these worlds get kind of, sometimes they get pulled back to the source, the original one that you're from. And when that happens, it's called an umbral calamity. And it's like a huge like calamity and like a bunch of people die and it's really horrible. Right? So the first was on its way to merge again with the source where you're from. And they pulled you there to stop it. So you got pulled to this different world by a person called the Crystal Exarch. And so all of the people that were passed out were actually there. Their souls just kind of got pulled there and not their body. But your body got pulled through uh, because you're the most important one. And so I remember one of the things that I love about this is that you're actually like the main character in the story. Like in EverQuest, you were a side character, right? In World of Warcraft, you were kind of a side character, right? In Final Fantasy XIV, you're the main character, and people recognize that. They're like, oh, my God, you've done all of this stuff. You're so amazing. Like, you're the warrior of light. Uh, and then in this one, the warrior of darkness. And so what happened in the war in the first is that um, there's something called ether, um, spelled with an A, that they, uh, everything is made out of. It's, a, it's essentially the element that everything is made of in this world. And there has to be a balance between light and darkness. And on the first, the balance for light got so big that light flooded the entire world and just, like, destroyed everything, right? Like, imagine, like, super blaring sunlight just hitting everything and, like, ripping everything apart. Um, and then there was an oracle of light who was able to stop it for a small area of this world, and that's where you come in. But it's daytime all the time. Like, there's no night, there's nothing. And then, so as you're playing through 
there's uh, they call them sin eaters, which are like creatures that were corrupted by the light, uh, and you have to you're, you're like fighting and killing them. Then there's light wardens, which each area has a light warden, and they're so they're like the the boss of that area, and all of the other sin eaters are like pulled towards them. So when you go and you kill the first light warden. And it shows the sky, and the sky goes from, like, this blaring light, and then it, like, dissipates, and there's night there. And it's, like, a night sky, and there's stars, and there's people who have been in this for, like, their entire life. And the people are, like, looking up in awe at the night sky, and they call it, like, the sunless sea. Um, And it's just, it was such an amazing moment in the game. Like, I've never seen writing in a video game, I think, that good except for when coming in, like, coming into here, and then, like, you're seeing all these people, like, oh, my God, we never thought this would happen. We thought we were all going to die. Uh, and so your your goal in this one is to go through and defeat all of the Light Wardens um, to bring Night back again to help move the balance back towards a balance between light and dark so that it's not going to merge with your source and just destroy everyone. And Summoner went from being very, very, very complicated to much easier. It's actually a little too easy for me right now, um, but you can switch between classes. You just have to level them up. Uh, so I'm going to try out some other classes too, but I just I just love summoners. And it, it is nice because the boss battles are just really complicated sometimes. Um, when I was playing EverQuest and I was a cleric, I would sit around a corner because nothing would go through walls, right? So I would just sit around the corner and heal people. And that was really all we needed to do for a lot of fights until I quit EverQuest. Uh, but with this, there's, like, very complicated. You have to be watching everything on the screen. You have to watch and see if a certain buff or uh, debuff pops up on you. Um, there's there's just a lot of stuff happening in the, in the fights here. Um, so having kind of a simple rotation for what I'm casting is kind of nice, if we're being honest. But um, I do want to try out some more characters. The story moment, I think, sounds really cool because it's, it's what you might expect from a single-player game, mm-hmm. but not often from a lot of MMOs right. of having right. that sort of, like, you know, just... Uh, like, there are, there are really cool moments in MMOs where everyone's kind of together playing and everything, but, mm-hmm. like, that's sort of a story moment. Yeah. Um, you know, happening in the game world is not mm-hmm. something that you always see, so that's really neat. Yeah, and, and like, the, the game changes for you, too. Like, it, it's day until you do that, and then you're, you're at night, and there's other people there who are still in the day, which I think MMORs before this never really did anything like that. Everyone was always in the same environment. Sure. And now you can have, you can have NPCs in a certain area that aren't there for other people because you're at a certain part in the game, uh, and I think that's really fantastic. And um, I know that uh, Stormbringer... Or wait. Which was... Shadowbringers, that's it. Uh, won a lot of <laughs> awards um, for just being really amazing, and a lot of people were coming back to it. And then Endwalker, again, a lot of people were coming back to it because like they had to stop selling it for a little bit because right. there were so many people playing. Um, I and think then, that's that's been also expedited because so many people have been fleeing uh, World of Warcraft. Yeah. And so they're looking for that MMO fix, and mm-hmm. this is the hot MMO for mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, um, and it, it is definitely worth it. If you if you do start playing it, push through <laughs> uh, Heaven's Word and Storm Stormblood because, uh, like, they're okay. There's some moments in them, but really, it's rough. But once you get to um, Shadowbringers, it's it's really fantastic. Um, and like the, um, so like one area is a bunch of like refugees. 
Um, there's a town where all of the essentially rich people are, and um, and it's run by who I'm assuming is going to be the end boss of the expansion. Um, and so, but he can control the sin eaters, the the person who is the head of that the town of the rich people. And the rich people come, they give all their money, and then they essentially live a lavish life. Uh, and there's people who are poor, really living on the outskirts of it. And they come down and they say, hey, we need someone to do this. And then they bring people up there um, to the town to act as like servants to the the rich people. Um, but there's something weird happening that I haven't seen yet. Uh, because when they come down and take somebody, they give them a food source. And I was like, oh, this is, is this a Soylent Green thing that's happening? I'm betting it's a Soylent Green thing. But I haven't gotten that far. Uh, and the story is just so, so fantastic. It's... That sounds like a very Final Fantasy VII setup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know that parts of the game are based off of the mainline Final Fantasy ones. Um, and this could be partially from that, honestly. Um, there was, I think I talked about this last week, but I was very excited because there was a Mist Dragon fight. Uh, and it was very much like the Mist Dragon from uh, Final Fantasy IV. And... Um, I know that there's, I think there's floating continent stuff coming up soon. I can't remember mm -hmm. which expansion it was. And then we go to the moon, which is, um, again, Final Fantasy. Four. Four, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited at all the nods and Easter eggs that are in the game. Cool. Um, anything else? Uh, that's it for me. All right. Um, well, I bit the bullet. I played High on Life. <laughs> Are you feeling high on life, Justin? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, this is the jo Justin Royland. Is that how you pronounce his name? Royland? Yeah, I think so. Um, he is the co-creator of uh, Rick and Morty. And this is the game that he, um, I guess he helped write. He definitely does voices in the game. Um, it's the game where you're on an you're an alien bounty hunter basically and the <laughs> i guess the big selling point is that your guns talk and boy do they talk <laughs> they never shut up <laughs> isn't isn't that delightful though well <laughs> hey listen <laughs> yeah it is it is very much that it's the navia uh, navi effect right like it's um so the main gun that you get is Justin Roiland doing the Morty voice from Rick and Morty. And oh. it is the Morty voice. Like, there is no differentiation there whatsoever. <laughs> oh, I imagine you never get tired of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so the game itself is a, a sort of, you start off in like a hub world. There's a setup for the game. And, and some of that's kind of like, eh, this is kind of fun and clever. Mm -hmm. Um but, like, very quickly you end up in this little hub world and you're going out and you, like, there's shops and stuff so you can upgrade items and upgrade your abilities, get new abilities and all that. Um, but then you go through this, like, sort of portal to do the actual bounty missions and everything, and that warps you to different environments. Um, and I will say this is the biggest selling point of this game. The environments are incredibly varied. They're incredibly colorful. They're pretty nice to look at for the most part. Um, you know, I, I think the hub world 
starts off looking really cool. And then once you actually explore it a little bit, you're kind of like, this is kind of boring. This is not as exciting as I had hoped it would be on first look. Um, but the actual game worlds, the levels that you're exploring, I think actually look pretty cool. I would say that's by far the best point of this game. That's the biggest selling point. Um, the actual gameplay is not very good Halo, is how I would describe it. Like you, It's very much like arena sort of style. You walk into an area, a bunch of enemies show up and attack you in waves. Um, some of your guns are very Halo style. Like you get a needler gun, basically. Um, and it works just like the needler in Halo. So like they're very obviously taking inspiration from that. Um, and yeah, I mean, like that's the gameplay loop right there, right? Like it it is very kind of straightforward and I, I would say it's functional. It's not like a broken game. It's not a game that you're playing and going, Oh my God, I can't believe anybody would ever design a game this way, but nothing about the gameplay is exceptional. It is very, and I, I would actually argue it feels outdated compared to a lot of modern games. So it, it feels like it's aping Halo, but it's aping Halo Combat Evolved on the Xbox in mm. kind of the setup and play and all that. So I would say the real sales point of this game is the, and I'm going to put this in quotes, <laughs> the comedy of the game. And I think the comedy of the game is going to be extremely hit or miss depending on what you personally find funny. If you love Rick and Morty, if you think Pickle Rick is the height of comic genius, this game is for you. If not, this game may just make every muscle in your body tense up while you're playing it. And I feel like that was more how I was playing this game. So I, I will say it is... There were parts that made me amused. So, like, one of the early things that happens is that your house gets transported to this alien world. And so, like, your human house is your base of operations that you come back to. And then you're in this futuristic city with flying vehicles and stuff. And so you go out there, and that's your hub world and everything. But when you come back to your house, an alien, this alien bounty hunter that you're basically taking over for, he sets up shopping your house. And so he's sitting on the couch watching TV and on the TV, they have a real movie. Um, It's called Tammy and the teenage T-Rex, which is a real movie. It's a real movie with Paul Walker in it. Uh, A very young Paul Walker. It's like his first film that he ever did. Um, and that movie's just playing on the TV, and you can sit down and just watch that entire movie. <laughs> okay, that's kind of cool. I'll give them that. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's a joke from the game The Darkness that came out like 10 years ago. Oh. Where they had a full movie in that game you could sit and watch. But, like, it's still, it's still neat. It's still, like, kind of funny and everything, and it's this obscure movie. Um, who's the actress in that? Um, it's the actress from... Uh, um, uh, what's the movie? I can't even think. Starship Troopers. What's the, I can't think of her name right now. Anyways, Ryan's looking it up, I think, so he can remind me. Um, 
she was in one of the Bond movies too, wasn't she? Didn't she play like a, a nuclear scientist in one of the Bond I know, movies? Denise Richards. No yeah, Denise Richards. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's Paul Walker and Denise Richards. So it's like kind of fun just to see the two of them very young in this movie and everything. Uh, so that's like a, a fun joke. But like then the rest of the jokes are like when – so I'm going to spoil a, an early joke. So if you don't want to hear this early joke, Justin. but I promise oh. you – there are literally thousands of jokes <laughs> before and after this in the minutes. Angry <laughs> Rick and Morty this. fans, send all your empty empty McDonald's Szechuan sauce packets to Justin at. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you go down into the slums of the city, and this little boy walks out in front of you, and he's like, uh, hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. So, you know, and it's that constant Rick and Morty, like, I'm just I'm filibustering, talking. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting there and you have your gun pointed at this little boy and the gun's like, oh, no, man, you shouldn't shoot a kid. Oh, that's terrible. You can't shoot a kid. Not in a video game. That's not how video games work. And then, you, like, you keep pressing the trigger because the kid keeps talking. And finally, it, it does allow you to shoot the kid. And then, you know, your gun's sitting there going, I can't believe we shot a kid. Video games don't let you shoot kids. What's going on? This isn't a normal video game. And it's just that. Imagine that. All the time, every interaction constantly it is. And so like there is actually a meter that you can turn down how much the gun talks, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, which is like, great. Yes. Awesome. Brilliant. You should include that in there, but it doesn't really matter because a lot of the talking is in cutscenes or like scripted moments in the game. So, yeah, the gun's talking when you're in the little battle scenes, but, like, that's not... You're still not able to escape the annoyance of this constant chatter. And so, like, you get a knife, and the knife is just sitting there constantly going, let let me cut somebody open. Let me, like, let me slit their throat. And just constantly. And so, again, like... This game, so I, I, I said when we talked about this game over the last year when they first showed it off and everything, I said I actually enjoyed Rick and Morty. This game makes me dislike Rick and Morty. <laughs> and I think it actually makes me reevaluate my feelings towards Rick and Morty. So while I was playing this, I thought, I actually don't think Rick and Morty is all that funny. I like the sci-fi storylines of Rick and Morty. That's what I enjoy about Rick and Morty. I don't enjoy the humor. That's what I'm enjoying when I watch Rick and Morty. I actually think the the storylines are pretty clever and interesting. This game made me finally come to that conclusion. I don't actually like Rick and Morty's humor. I find it obnoxious. I kind of always have, you know, the from the very first episodes where it's just uh, Rick burping every third line or whatever he's doing. Um and this game drives that point home, like even exponentially for me. And so it's just not very good. Um, but if you love Rick and Morty, if you think Rick and Morty is the height of humor, and there are people out there who definitely do, then you're going to think this game is brilliant. Um, the other thing I'll say about it is, so I mentioned that line, oh, this isn't what we do in video games. There's other lines like that throughout the game. Uh, There's lines like that in the descriptions of items um, as you pick them up and everything. 
And so it takes on this very sort of, well, this is a parody of a video game. So when we make you do something stupid, it's not because we're not very creative game designers. It's because we're making fun of other games when they do this. Because that makes it creative then. Right. And so it's like, well, (laughs) but you're still making a bad game with bad cliche level design and everything. You're just calling it out as you're doing it. That doesn't make it any better. This is like writing a bad pop song and then saying, oh, but like we're making fun of pop songs. And it's like, no, like Weird Al is actually a good musician. That's why he's lasted so long. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's actually craft and art to what he does. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just a bad game. And, like, I, you know, there's nothing I can recommend about it. The gameplay's not great. The humor's not great. Um, the level design is colorful. That's cool to see. And I guess that's a positive I can say about it. But I feel like for a lot of people, this game is going to grate at them as they're playing it, and they're not going to actually get a good experience out of it. At the end of the day, they won't be high on life. (laughs) No, I I don't think anybody's going to be high on this game. Maybe if you're high. Uh, No, I'm sure plenty of people will be high on (laughs) it. I do think it being on Game Pass is going to make it far more played. well, that's the reason I play. Yeah, oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, even though you said all of that, I still think the fact that I don't have to spend sixty dollars on this game, I already have mm-hmm. Game Pass. I might, I might check it out. But um, yeah, I think that that was maybe the best decision <laughs> that ultimately <laughs> the whoever gets to make that decision made was let's just put this on Game Pass. I mean, look, if you like Rick and Morty, play this game. This is a Rick and Morty game without Rick and Morty. <laughs> well, without Rick. Morty's definitely in this. It's just a gun. It's all Morty. But, like, I mean, if you like that show, if you like Justin Roiland's sense of humor and everything, and and that's very entertaining to you, and I'm not even being critical of that, then great. This is a game made for you. But, (laughs) like, short of that, like, I mean, and, yeah, it's on Game Pass. If you already have Game Pass, you're getting this for free, essentially. Like, play it. I mean, that's why I played it. I would not have spent $60, $70 on this game. I would encourage no one to spend $60, $70 (laughs) on this game. Like, even if you think you are potentially into it, this is much more of a $20, $30 game, and I would guess this game will be that price by March. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's it's worth seeing. And I, I think there's a couple of gags in it that are that work well enough, but um, you know, it's the sort of like shotgun mentality. I'm going to shoot a hundred jokes at you, and maybe one of them will <laughs> land, and that's fine a lot of times. But when you're firing that many in a short succession, it's just overwhelming. It's like the whole it, yeah, like a broken clock is right at least twice a day, like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it feels punishing. The humor in this game feels punishing to play through. So, so there's a there's a subset of people who like Rick and Morty who are convinced that people who don't like Rick and Morty don't get it because they're not smart enough. And they're like, I'm smarter than everybody else, and so I get everything that's in Rick and Morty, and it's funny, and it's hilarious. Because if, so, if it's meta, it has to be smart, right. OJ. And, and so that subset of people 
is who I think this game is actually designed for because they're going to buy it no matter what because they want to prove that they're smarter than everybody else and they <laughs> get every single joke that's in there and they get the gameplay and they get the play they get the uh, uh, parody, right? Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I think Rick and Morty has clever plots. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back and you watch Rick and Morty, some of the plot lines are are pretty clever mm-hmm. science fiction sort of you know, plot lines and stuff. And some of that can be kind of fun. But, like, the humor is very sophomoric. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing in in this, right? And that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have anything against that. Right. South Park is very sophomoric. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Family Guy is very sophomoric. Mm-hmm. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> you, you just made sure... So, that would have made so many fans mad that you compared it to Family Guy, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... That that is the style of humor, right? For these type of shows, and there's nothing wrong with that. I really liked those shows when I was like, when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really liked South Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I think South Park is better than either of those other shows because mm-hmm. South Park is more of a satire, and I think like at its best, South Park is very is actually very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, though I think South Park has the same problem of its fans sometimes thinking it's smarter mm-hmm. than it actually is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, you know, I, I would say this and, you know, and Rick and Morty, I, I don't think ever reached the levels of something like, say, Futurama mm-hmm. that actually packs real emotion and clever storytelling and genuinely mm-hmm. funny jokes. I, I don't think they're on the same level, but mm-hmm. that's my personal opinion, mm-hmm. right? I don't begrudge anyone for loving this Mm -hmm. uh, style of humor. It just doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And if it does work for you, you'll probably get a lot more out of high on life. If it doesn't work for you, I would say go into this game knowing Mm -hmm. it's going to just be that Mm -hmm. rapid fire all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a clever ideal for a game. I mean, to have a a companion, and I think this solves the problem that a lot of games have tried to do over the years of having a sort of companion following you around, commenting, you know, sort of a sidekick, giving you, throwing off lines and stuff. Um, And I think this game solves it by making that your gun, right? And so games like Ratchet and Clank have solved that by, you know, putting the other character in a backpack or something, you know, you're sort of Banjo-Kazooie's... I was going to say, don't forget Banjo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but Banjo-Kazooie didn't have constant chatter and no, stuff. Um, I guess if we had one made today, it would, right? Um, don't but, give Justin Roiland ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that's the setup and everything. But yeah, I mean, not for me, but some people are going to find something they really like in it. So I was kind of curious about this one when I heard it. I just... So I'm not, like, one of the people that I've been making fun of it. I don't actually hate Rick and Morty. I actually like the first two seasons of it, but... And I get... And before people, you just don't get it. No, I get why they might have... I get the reason, possible reasons we'll see, like, as it unravels further, as to why it went into season three the way it did, but... I, I felt like I was watching like char- like Rick build as a character and grow as a character, and then season three was just like, nope, screw that. And I, I just, I was like, that kind of was the thing that kind of, like, I kept watching it afterwards still, but that kind of put me off of it. Because um, I get some of the possible clever sci-fi reasons for why it might be doing, you know, there's, like, theories about, well, we're following different Rick and Mortys at different times or whatever, and that could be 
interesting, but I'll still take good character development over that, and I felt cheated out of that. So that's my... That's my th- yeah, I would yeah. say HBO's Harley Quinn series actually does what Rick and Morty tries to do better. Agreed. In a lot of ways. I mean, I think it has actual character development. I think it has the sort of body, um, you know, vulgar humor at times. And I think that's a, I think that's a better show to be honest. I think it's more consistently funny too. Like just the the humor around Bane was great. (laughs) Yeah. Or King shark. I I really like him as a character. Um, yeah, so I played that. Um, the other thing I played, I played Midnight Fight Express. I, I talked about it last week. I finished it. Um, that's a really cool game. Um, I think some of the later levels get a little punishing with particular sequences that uh, different people are going to have different experiences with. There were a couple that I got hung up on for a, a while, and I felt like were kind of unfair. Um, but... That still is a really cool game. I still hate all the chatter, but now that I beat the game, I can go back and play any of the levels with all the chat turned off, <laughs> and I think that'll make it a better experience <laughs> because all I really want to do is kill people in a very creative, fun, cool manner, <laughs> which is what that game does at its very best. So um, that is a game I would recommend to people. Um, you know, maybe if you can find it cheap and everything. It also is on uh, Game Pass, so if you have Game Pass, it's a a great one to check out. Uh, The last thing I checked out, I'll just talk about real briefly because I haven't spent a ton of time with it, is Vampire Survivors released its DLC called Legacy of the Moonspell. I did play a little bit of that. It has some new enemies. It has um, a new weapon. it basically the level is set in this like snowy mountainous region. So it's sort of like a, a Viking sort of theme to it, I guess. Uh, the thing that's cool is you start off kind of in the wilderness. If you go to the south of the level, there's actually a village and there's buildings you can go inside of, which is very different from other uh, vampire survivor levels. And then if you go to the north, there's actually a system of caves you can go into. And you can go in and out of the caves and like there's different like uh, chambers of the caves and everything. So it's pretty cool. Very hard level, um, which makes sense. It's DLC, mm-hmm. you know, kind of something that you'll play after you've played the entire rest of the game. Um, but it's cool. And if you like Vampire Survivors, it's only like a dollar fifty or something. So I think you can get the whole game and the DLC together for $5. So Um, Again, still one of the best bargains in video games there. Um, All right, that does it for what we've been playing. Let's move on to the news. And we have some, like, kind of varied news this week. So let's talk through some of that. Uh, First off, uh, OJ, you sent this along. I think I had seen it about the same time that you sent it. Um, There is newly uncovered footage of the Michael Jackson Scramble Training Motion Simulator Arcade Game from Sega World. And that is quite a mouthful, so (laughs) let's kind of break that down. Uh, Back in the 90s, uh, Sega ran a, uh, in Japan, ran a series of arcades. Um, Some of those were called Sega World. And they would have normal arcade games there, but then they would have very, like, sort of unique experiences that you could only play at Sega World. And 
some of these were like motion simulator style games where you'd get inside something, you know, like the motion simulators you see at the mall or that sort of thing. Um, and they actually made one of these with Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson appears in the game. So like when the game starts, Michael Jackson comes on the screen and he's like in some sort of like space cadet uniform <laughs> and he's talking to you. Um, and he's like, hi, I'm commander Jackson. And, um, you know, and he starts giving you the spill about what you're doing in the game and everything. Um, people had known this game existed, but they did not actually have good quality footage from it. And of course, Sega world no longer exists. And so a lot of these things have been torn down and everything. So, um, somebody actually at a yard sale found an original tape from this. And so they digitized the footage and everything. They put it online. So you can go on YouTube and actually watch this footage. Uh, and it's just kind of neat because it's just even more of, we're finding out more and more, I feel like, how much Michael Jackson was involved with Sega. So over the last year, we've had confirmed and then unconfirmed and then kind of reconfirmed <laughs> that he definitely did do the soundtrack or part of the soundtrack for uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Uh, of course, he appears in Space Channel 5. Um, and, you know, and then here he is in uh, this game as well. So just kind of neat... It's also one of those things that sadly, because of his legacy as an, a private individual, um, that a lot of this, uh, I left out Moonwalker. How could I forget? <laughs> it was the Moonwalker home game and also the arcade game that they made. Um, but his legacy as an individual um, means that a lot of this stuff is just getting swept under the rug. And in one regard, that's completely understandable. But on another side, like Moonwalker's are actually a really good game. Space Channel 5 is a really good game. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 is the third Sonic the Hedgehog game. <laughs> <laughs> so, There's the title of today's episode, Sonic <laughs> the Hedgehog 3 is the third Sonic the Hedgehog game. And, you know, it's just kind of sad that Sega can't embrace this legacy um, and that, you know, again, it kind of gets swept under the rug. Like we'll probably never get a Moonwalker re-release or anything. And I understand that, but it's also really kind of sad because that's a pretty good game. Even the arcade game is like pretty fun. Um, and those are entirely different games in that regard. So um, anyways, kind of neat and everything from a preservation standpoint that they were able to find that. Um. OJ, you'll be excited. The ESRB has rated the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters for both the PlayStation 4 and the Switch. Now, this is usually the last step before a release date is announced or before the games themselves are re uh, released. So, OJ, how excited are you to have the Pixel Remasters actually on Switch? Actually, I'm very excited because I really don't play on uh, my computer that much. Um, I'm much more often playing on consoles. Uh, so seeing this on the Switch and the PS4, I'm very excited. And we were talking about the Donkey Kong uh, 64 and how like there was that quality of life with, the, with being able to change uh, at any point um, with that mod. And I think the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters did a lot of that um, like quality of life changes because you can 
you can save in more areas than you used to be able to. Uh, you can fast forward through fights, and there's auto battles for the games that didn't have auto battles before. Um, and so it's it's so much better on the ones that I played through. Uh, and I'm excited to have them on a console, so I'm more likely to play them. Are the Pixel remasters 1 through 6 or 1 through... 1 through 6, yes. Okay. Um, and they do not include any of the additional content from any re-releases mm. either. Um, they're just remasters of the original. Yeah, so it doesn't have uh, Final Fantasy for the after years, yeah. that sort of stuff in there. Um, or any of the um, like after-game dungeons or anything that were added to a lot of them. Yeah, when they ported them to like, uh, the DS and stuff yeah. like that, they, mm-hmm. they did some of that work. Yeah. Um, which I wish they were included um, as like, hey, in a remaster, and we're adding this extra stuff in the spirit of the original game. But maybe they'll do that at some point later. It might be neat, like, if they did something like, okay, you remember when they on GameCube released Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, like, with Wind Waker, but there's also Master Quest, which was, like, a different mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool if they did something like that, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm also kind of excited about this, like, particularly because of Six, because... So, Final Fantasy VI, I got a Nintendo 64, I never had a Super NES, but is one of those games that I kind of, like, would hear about and learn about, and, like, oh, in retrospect, I wish I got a chance to play that one. You haven't played it? No, I have not. And it's one I've really <laughs> wanted to play for a while, so I'm I'm happy about this, because this means I'll get a chance to play this, and this will be, like, high up on my list really quick. Well, now I have a good reason to beat you up after the podcast. Oh, I, 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 I do like... Else going. I, I should know OJ's gasp there was a hundred percent authentic. <laughs> he was really like taken aback that Ryan had never played Final oh, Fantasy yeah. Six. OJ, I didn't had an N sixty four. That was my first console. <laughs> there have been emulators for SNES games for for twenty over twenty years. Okay, fine. I, I didn't emulate it, but <laughs> I, I understand. This, this is going to be the best way to experience it. I think. So. If it were like Mystic Quest or something, I would understand that. But a mainline Final <laughs> Fantasy game. Arguably, my favorite is uh, unacceptable. I get a lot of blood on my shirt today. Yeah, um, I will say I'm very excited for these on the Switch. I feel like that was always the logical place to put these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great place. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, and if you have not played, particularly four, five, and six, mm-hmm. really four, five, and six are got a look on the six. <laughs> these are really worth your time to go back and play. I feel mm-hmm. like those games do hold up extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, I should note, we just got breaking news from our intrepid field reporter, Alicia Utech, who is <laughs> texting us while we're live recording. I don't know. I guess she does know that we were recording at this time. Uh, Nintendo has released Kirby read-alongs, uh, which are little kind of like Kirby storybook videos on YouTube. And kind of cute. <laughs> there are images that come up and then text. And I guess I do not have the sound on since we're on air and everything, but I guess they are reading these to you. So they're like little books for children to have read to them, bedtime stories and that sort of thing. So very cute. Um, one of the like kind of fun, neat, free things that Nintendo does, which they don't do a whole lot of those. So this is actually like worth calling out and everything. So Thank you, Alicia, for pointing that out. Wow, we got like real time like reporting out there, like in the world amongst yeah. us. That I, I feel pretty fancy right now. Like I think this is like a high water mark for us. 
This is like a few weeks ago when we actually played a song live on the show and everything and then got copyright striked on YouTube for it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have other breaking news, too, that I that I just got. Okay. Uh, the, not, oh, spe- not very specifically uh, video game, well, but mostly. Uh, so the Pokemon anime, they announced yeah. that there's going to be a final season with 11 episodes that will end Ash's storyline. Uh, a so, final season? Yeah, and then they're going to start with someone new. Uh, other than Ash. Ash is retiring. Yeah. After, after 25 years of being 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, now, wait. So does that mean Team Rocket and Meowth and Pikachu all retire with him? I, I don't know. Will he pass That's, Pikachu on to somebody new, or will they, uh, they yeah, get so a new starter? I was talking about this with Frankie, who's you know another one of my cohort members, a uh, big Pokemon fan. He was mentioning that he had seen it that – they're finishing up this season of Pokemon Journeys, which is the current one. And then when they start the next series, that, which will be centered around the new games, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet, yeah, they'll have a new main person, and it won't be Ash, it won't be Pikachu. So I have no idea if Team Rocket or any of mm-hmm. those characters that we've come to know and love will be around. I will be mad if Jesse and James are gone. I love Jesse and James more than the the protagonist. Just make them the main characters already. Yeah, yeah I mean oh, that would be fantastic. I feel like you could do that. A Team Rocket series, just following them around, mm-hmm. being sort of bumbling like <laughs> attempted villains, but actually sort of ideally the good guys. People love an anti-hero. You yeah, could yeah. use that Taylor Swift song as the theme. <laughs> like a whole generation loves the Pokemon theme song. Just use that Taylor Swift song as the new theme to Pokemon. <laughs> and like people already love that song. It's been number one until Mariah Carey came out of her crypt and like, <laughs> took back over God. number one song. Like you could have like so many cool like heist and caper episodes and stuff and there you go. Listen to us, Nintendo. We obviously know what we're talking about. <laughs> D- Disney knows. You know Disney. You know. <laughs> Disney does listen to the podcast. And you're listening to us there from your dream valley, Yar. Uh, let's see. Moving along with news, uh, if there's no other breaking news, uh, Microsoft has offered PlayStation Call of Duty. So last week we talked about they offered it for 10 years. They also have now offered it as part of PlayStation Plus. So, obviously, part of why Microsoft purchased Activision is the ability to put Call of Duty and all these other games onto Game Pass. They have offered uh, Sony, if Sony will stop complaining, (laughs) um, that they'll let them put this onto PlayStation Plus. Obviously, they would have to pay Microsoft, Mm -hmm. but still, that would uh, alleviate the advantage that Microsoft conceivably gets from uh, purchasing Call of Duty. So there'd be no exclusive benefits, theoretically, that Microsoft and the Xbox are getting over the PlayStation in this case. Um, Microsoft also claimed that PlayStation can only grow by making Microsoft smaller, <laughs> um, which just seems like one of those petty statements. Yeah. And um, yeah, this this doesn't seem like it's ending anytime soon. So we talked about the FTC investigating, opening up a case last week. So this will this will drag on well into the new year, it seems like. 
But Microsoft seems like they are really trying to back Sony into a corner here. We're giving you everything you could possibly want. What more could we do other than not buy them? And hey, we're we're definitely going to buy them. Uh, Unreal Tournament 3X is uh, going completely free across not just the Epic Games Store, which owns Unreal, uh, but also onto uh, Steam and to other digital platforms on consoles. This is because they're shutting down the servers from some of the old Unreal games. So this is going to be their new uh, main, I guess, direction with Unreal going into the, uh, the future. So you can go and download that. I think it's available now if you want to go and download that and play some Unreal Tournament. Uh, God of War series is officially a go at Amazon. We talked earlier this year about that potentially being in development. Amazon has officially ordered this to series. So we are getting a God of War series at Amazon. Um, it seems like it will follow the most recent games. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like that's kind of a bad choice. I feel like it'd be <laughs> more interesting to go back and do the Greek games. But if you take this from uh, the PlayStation perspective, they're trying to sell copies of the games. Mm-hmm. And those old games aren't on sale anymore. These new games are for sale on PlayStation 4 and 5. So that makes sense, I guess, from that perspective. Um, Amazon is also... Amazon Games is going to publish the next Tomb Raider. So they are making a new Tomb Raider game. It's going to be published by Amazon Games for multi-platform. The reason I kind of lump these together is... Amazon Games is publishing the next Tomb Raider game. They have officially canceled the uh, the sequel to the last Tomb Raider, the one starring Alicia Verkant. Kind of makes a lot of sense that Amazon might also be making a new Tomb Raider movie or series or something along with this. They haven't officially announced that, but if they're publishing the game and obviously um, the publishers want to do something with the movie license... That makes a whole lot of sense, right? To just have Amazon produce that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're going to get more Tomb Raider content. I don't really care about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited for another Tomb Raider game. I, I like this most recent trilogy an awful lot, particularly that second game, which was Rise of the Tomb Raider. That's an extremely good game if you've never played that. Play. I just have this image of like Jeff Bezos being like, "Yeah, Laura Croft would totally hang out with me. We'd we'd be total <laughs> chums." <laughs> well, I mean, he's single and ready to mingle with Laura Croft. <laughs> uh, they call me Mister Clean. <laughs> Amazon is also in talks for a Warhammer Forty Thousand series starring Henry Cavill. Damn, he's been getting a lot of work lately. Well, no, he's lost a lot of work. Oh, that too. I know, but... So, Henry Cavill has quit the Witcher series. He quit that mm-hmm. two months ago in order to do a new Superman film, which this week they announced he is out of. They are not making a new film with him anymore. And so, now he's basically jumping from one video game series in The Witcher mm-hmm. to another video game series. I know Warhammer is also a board game. Um, and I guess was board game first, um, but, you know, it's also a very popular video game franchise as well. So, I mean, that is what Henry Cavill... I, I will give Henry Cavill, like, uh, some credit for this. 
he is one of these actors who's like, oh, I'm such a nerd. I'm mm-hmm. so into this sort of stuff. Yeah. He seems to really walk the walk. Yeah. Like, I think he really is into this. I mean, mm-hmm. OJ, I'm sure you are familiar with the very famous picture of him, like, mm-hmm. building his own computer. Yeah. Um, I'm well aware, yeah. Is that your desktop wallpaper at the moment? I mean, it that's the painting not be, yeah. hanging over his fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, he seems like he is legitimately into this stuff Mm -hmm. and is choosing projects based on that. Mm -hmm. And that seems cool because, like, Mm -hmm. if you 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 want somebody like that Mm -hmm. actually championing these projects. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, yeah, I know he's been losing a lot of work, but just also thinking he's got to play Superman, he's got to be in The Witcher, now Mm -hmm. he gets to be in 40K. It's like he's got to do a lot of geek things also, like. I, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, like, for him that he kind of lost out in the stuff he did, but I'm happy for him that he gets to continue Mm -hmm. on in this and... I think it's cool that he is truly a geeky dude. I, I do think it's like sort of like tragically funny though that Black Adam, um, crud, uh, the Rock. All right, so I'm already going in that direction. And Black Adam, they meet uh, each other like at the end, and um, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to get more Henry Cavill Superman. Nope. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, I mean, even that they public, he publicly went on uh, like Instagram or Twitter and announced, hey, I'm back as Superman mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, left the Witcher to go and do this. Mm-hmm. And it it is kind of, I mean, it was kind of a train wreck situation. Yeah. But I think it, that wasn't the only reason he left the Witcher, right? He was also upset that they were no longer like following the books and the games. Or that something. was speculation. He never oh, said okay. anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I am fine with him continuing in this genre and doing video game shows and uh, movies because, like, if he is really going to make sure that they stick to the source material, that's going to make a lot of people happy. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know Warhammer in particular, he's very passionate mm-hmm. about. So to have him on board, I mean, I'd, I'd almost hope that he, they would give him not necessarily like creative decision making, mm-hmm. but like, that they would respect the input mm-hmm. that he could provide on yeah. a series like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he may, I don't have this down here, he may actually be a producer on this project, mm-hmm. in which case he would have, theoretically, a little bit more say. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of staying in the, you know, sort of vicinity of Hollywood and gaming, um, a Death Stranding film is also in the work from the producer of the film Barbarian. That was a kind of big hit this year. Um, so we may also be getting a Death Stranding film. That that seems like a very ambitious project, mm-hmm. that sort of world and everything. So um, until that is officially in production, I wouldn't hold my breath. Mm-hmm. But they're at least working on it. Um, gaming Magazine. So gay-ming. Gaming magazine uh, has announced their gaming awards, um, their nominees at least for this year. And we just wanted to briefly touch on these. Um, so normally when publications, you know, do their year, the end of the year awards, like we will do after we come back from Christmas break, um, they don't announce the nominees in advance. And so, you know, in this case, they're trying to recognize LGBTQ representation in video games. They're announcing these nominees in advance because really the whole point of these awards is to shine a light on these games because a lot of these are kind of smaller indie games and they are 
doing a great deal of work towards representation. And so, um, you know, we kind of wanted to also shine a light on those because it, it's cool. And some of these are certainly games that, um, you know, we talked before we went on the air that we're not aware of. So uh, real quick, we're not going to read all these awards. They have a ton of awards. You can search gaming magazine and find all their awards on their website. Uh, but game of the year, they had Arcade Spirits, The New Challengers, Cold of the Lamb, Elden Ring, and God of War Ragnarok. Um, but probably the one that actually shines more specific light on some games you may not have heard of. They have their Best LGBTQ Indie Game Award. They have, again, Arcade Spirits, uh, Butterfly Soup 2, Signalis, uh, Valley Date, Struggling Singles in Your Area, We Are OFK, and Wildflowers, W-Y-L-D-E, Wildflowers. Um, under the Authentic Representation Award, Award they have I Was a Teenage Exoconologist. I don't, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, Saints Row, Signalis, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, uh, Volley Date, Struggling Singles in Your Area, and We Are OFK. Under Best LGBTQ Character Award, they have uh, Bones Three Wood from Tiny Tina's, Tiny Tina's Wonderland, Bridget from Guilty Gear Strive, Catalyst from Apex Legends, Elster from Signalis, Lore from New Tales from the Borderland, and Tara Wild from Wildflowers. And then uh, for Best LGBTQ Tabletop Game of the Year Award, they have Adventuring with Pride, A Queero's Journey, um, Pathfinder, Lost Omens, Pride Across the Multiverse, and Tower of the Soul. Um, so the Pride Across the Multiverse, I guess we should point out, is... Um, Sorry, it's, uh, what's the game? Magic. Magic. Yeah. Yeah, Magic the Gathering. Um, it is a sort of expansion for that in which they take some uh, common cards that already exist in the game and they redid the art. So, like, one of them is um, a picture of some mages and they've given them all, like, rainbow-colored cloaks and everything uh, for the card design. So that was kind of cool. We looked at that uh, before we went on the air. Um yeah, we just wanted to like kind of bring some recognition to these, and I, I don't know are any of these like standing out to you as things you're interested in trying or that um, you know having seen the list from these awards and everything uh, get particular interest from you. Um, Signalis is one that I'm curious to try. I was just looking that up because like that sounds familiar, and I was like, it's like this is one I want to try. I just it's a cool survival horror with like a cool pixelated look and kind of an animeish aesthetic, mm -hmm. and that I mean those are things that are like. Catch my interest. Um, and again, I just, I like the, I'm a sucker for good aesthetics. But also, I just, I don't know much about it, but just for the title, Validate Struggling Singles in Your Area. I just love that title. That's great. <laughs> I'm kind of curious just for that. But uh, aside from that, I mean, other ones, like ones I was already interested in trying before I knew about this list were like Elden Ring and God of War, Ragnarok. Right. I think the one that, that stood out to me was I was a teenage exochronologist. Um, I really know nothing about it, but I remember seeing it at the Jeff Keighley Game Awards, uh, whenever that was last week or so, two mm -hmm. weeks ago. Uh, it was nominated for, I think, Best Indie Game. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing seeing it, and again, not knowing anything about it, 
uh, really liking the art style and think I like, oh, that's one that I would definitely want to check out. So seeing it uh, listed under this Authentic Representation Award, I think that's particularly cool. So more reason to check it out. I think so. I'm 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 excited about validate struggling singles in your area because uh, a lot of the first games that I played that had LGBTQ representation were dating sims. Like mm. there's Dream Daddy mm. and um, there's a, a couple other ones before that that I can't remember off the top of my head. Dream Daddy's <laughs> a really good game. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's another one where it's most uh, like. N- all but one of the the people that you can be with is so you're you play a man and almost everyone's another man, but then also there's an option to fall in love with your goldfish. Um, I can't, I can't remember what that one is called, but uh, it's it's a really good game, and then it has a weird you fall in love with your goldfish one. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I I always I have an affinity towards like dating sims, and so if that is a dating sim, then that's something that I'm really it looks like it should be. Um, also the Tiny Tina stuff, because I know I've heard a lot about Tiny Tina. I've, I haven't actually played the Borderlands games, but I've heard a lot about Tiny Tina and people really liking her um, as LGBTQ re, um, uh, representation in Borderlands. Uh, so I'm very excited to check that one out, too. Yeah, I guess the other one that I'm familiar with, because of it was popular on Twitch because it had like some specific Twitch integration, was Cult of the Lamb. The way that like chat would participate mm-hmm. as this quote unquote cult, mm-hmm. um, I it's not one that I watched a ton, but it, I do think it. In considering that integration, it sounds like it had done some pretty cool things. I know some people who were fans of it. Um, I guess one more that I'm interested in too is uh, I, I mean it's I, I actually am kind of curious about Guilty Gear Strive. I don't play many fighting games. Um, the main fighting games I've played that I really, really enjoyed were just, like, the Super Smash Brothers games. I, I've put... There was a while, I remember, like, a long time ago when I was playing, like, Tekken 3 quite a bit with friends and stuff. But I, I would like to find a good fighting game that fits me. And I know, like, one of my favorite uh, YouTubers, Super Eyepatch Wolf, has talked about Guilty Gear Strive, and that's one I want to give a... So, for reasons other than this, but, like, you know, this kind of gives me more impetus to check that out. Yeah, I mean, Call of the Lamb I need to play before our Game of the Year stuff um, because I've really heard a lot of positive things about that. But Wildflowers is the one that I haven't heard anything about that kind of gets my interest and everything from this list. Um, Just sounds interesting, and I don't know really a whole lot about it, so I may check that out as well. Um, All right, um... There is talk of a new Steam Deck. Um, One of the developers behind that at Valve uh, came out in an interview and said if they were making a new Steam Deck, um, probably the next iteration would address the screen and battery issues. Um, I assume they mean a a better quality screen and extended battery life um, before they address actual the pyre of the system. So the pyre would probably not be a significant jump up, but there would be other quality of life improvements there. So if you are thinking about buying a Steam Deck and your big concerns are the battery life and the screen, maybe hold out because it sounds like they are working on something at least. That's cool because the Steam Deck is like one of the consoles I've been more actually interested in. Um, uh, But yeah, those were like definitely like deterrents for me. So I'll keep an eye out on this. 
They also expressed some interest in doing more Steam boxes. So Steam boxes were their failed uh, attempt at a consolization of the PC. So uh, if you remember, the original Steam boxes were basically a PC in a console-sized box that would fit under your TV and uh, allow you to play games on your TV. Um, mm-hmm. And those failed pretty spectacularly, but at the time when they originally came out, those were Linux-based boxes, and a whole lot of Steam games wouldn't run on them. But now, because of the work that they've done uh, for the Steam Deck and letting lots of games be essentially emulated over onto it uh, using, um, I forget what their specific stuff is, but it's like Wine for Linux that allows you to run Windows applications on Linux. Uh, because of that, um, now a, a Steam box makes a whole lot more sense. Mm-hmm. So they're mm. kind of interested in returning to that and everything. That'd be cool. I'd be interested in the Steam box if they, oh, yeah. if it, if it worked. Yeah, I mean, and you know, considering you're not having to do the screen and the battery and all mm-hmm. that, you could potentially put one of those under a TV a lot cheaper than you can even make a Steam Deck for. Oh, that'd be great. So um, let's see, Super Nintendo World has at Universal Studios Hollywood has announced an official opening date of February 17th, 2023. So guess what, honey? Guess what we're doing for Valentine's Day? (laughs) Going to Super Nintendo World. Um, I assume that'll be crazy all spring long, but uh, if you're headed out there anytime soon to the LA area, um, you know, maybe worth checking out and everything. Mario, where are you from originally? The San Francisco area. San Francisco, so not too far. No, it's it's drivable. Yeah, so um, do you think you would try to hit up Super Nintendo World this year? Um, I think I would definitely consider it if I had friends who were interested. Um, I, I imagine it will also probably be pretty nuts over the summer. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I would certainly love to go just to go. I mean, it, whether it's this year, next year, three years from now, it's one that, you know, I have never been to Universal Studios Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, but this this would push me to go. At least you're on the right coast for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The one in uh, Florida, they are building one there, but I don't think it's supposed to be open until 2025, so still a few years off for it. Um, Apple has announced that they may offer third-party stores on the iPhone uh, with their next update, uh, meaning their next update, next next major iOS uh, version. So iOS 17, I think that would be. Um, So that wouldn't be until next year sometime, uh, next fall. Um, But this would open it up for Epic to be able to put their game store onto iPhones. This would allow for Xbox to be able to put their streaming app onto iPhones. Uh, this would really open up iPhones to have all sorts of different sort of streaming and new game platforms and everything on there. Um, so that's maybe exciting. Also opens up the possibility for more emulation apps to be potentially on there. Um, since theoretically, if these are outside app stores, Apple would not be approving the apps going through them. So you would assume emulators would be rampant on there. Um if you're interested in the PSVR 2, it's getting a Fantavision game at launch. Which you, how many of you remember Fantavision? I honestly don't. I vaguely remember it being a thing. Um, I don't, I never like played with it or knew much about it. 
So Fantavision was a PS2 launch game, at least in the U.S. I think it was very shortly after launch in Japan. Um, and it was a, it's a fireworks rhythm game. So it is a game of fireworks going off, and you're setting off fireworks like to a rhythm and everything, and it's pretty neat. And it seems like the sort of game that would work very well in VR, but like who thought we would get a sequel to that game <laughs> now and on VR particularly. So kind hey of everybody, fun. do you miss this game? I mean, I kind of, I was okay with it. <laughs> well, we're releasing a sequel now. It's 25 years ago. Yes. <laughs> that, that very much seems to be the thinking uh, to it. Let's see. Um, we're almost out of time here. So uh, Spider-Man 2 is has a release date set for fall of 2023. Not a specific release date, but at least a time frame. So that game is obviously going to be one of PlayStation 5's big releases for next fall. Um, obviously, the Spider-Man games have been extremely successful for them so far, both with the original and then Miles Morales at the PlayStation 5 launch. Um, so that's pretty exciting to see. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um all right, that leads us to our big question of the week. And since we are headed into the holiday season, um, what do you wish Santa would bring the game industry for Christmas? So this isn't necessarily a specific game, but maybe just a trend or a change or a shift in the game industry that you wish Santa would dump on the, uh, you know, the living room floor under the tree for the game industry this year. Instead of just a lump of coal, maybe something positive to make the game industry better. Um, OJ, why don't we start with you? Uh, so I say Santa should bring diversity, equity, and inclusion to the game industry. Uh, especially, like, I mean, it's always been a, a, a pretty much a straight white man's game. Um, and uh, so bringing a lot more voices to it uh, and lowering the amount of horrible stuff that we've seen coming out, like Blizzard Activision every week. Um so just, just making things better for the people that are working there, more unions, um, like for the unions, for the testers, um, all of that. Just, just I, I want to see Santa make the game industry better for the people that are working there. All right. That's an admirable want. Um, Ryan, how about you? I'll add on to this by saying like that and in the games themselves, whether, you know, rather than me getting excited about like one game that where you have a non-binary option, make this a much more regular trend and of things you see. And even in games where you don't actually choose who your character is, uh, start regularly having games that are more that are put out with more like trans and non-binary protagonists. All right. Uh, Mario. So I was going to say also healthier work con working conditions, but since OJ hit on that, I'm going to say a return to the collectathons. <laughs> give me, give me a Donkey Kong 64 two with seven thousand collectibles, and just make that every game that comes out now a return. Donkey Kong four thousand. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I I think I thought kind of the same thing. OJ I think listed a whole lot of different things. <laughs> he hit on unions and all that, um, and that's certainly a, a very positive thing for the industry. Um, I would say, and we talked about this, I believe last week, accessibility, mm -hmm. um, and how the game industry has done a lot of very positive things for accessibility in recent years, and. To PlayStation's credit, we give PlayStation a lot of crap here, uh, justifiably so. Uh, I feel like that PlayStation has particularly been a leader in this, and uh, their major 
big releases, just having wonderful accessibility options, and they seem to be building from game to game on those. Um, I know that I have a friend who gets motion sickness um, with games sometimes, and looking at the new God of War, she was very excited because there's actually like a motion sickness option on there Mm -hmm. that actually changes several options within the game. Um, And I feel like that that's the next step in accessibility is not just a whole lot of options, but making those options easy when you start up the game to be able to say, why, yes, I am colorblind or why, yes, I am. I do get motion sickness and I can just check a box and have the game be easier for me because of that. Not easier to beat, but easier to engage with uh, because of options in there. So um, I would like to see that be more of a focus of the industry. I understand why little indie games can't do that as easily, but I feel like it's the sort of thing that Microsoft and Nintendo and Sony and even Valve with Steam uh, can cook some of those features in at a you know at a basic level to allow those to be easier to implement. So hopefully we see more of that going forward. Um, All right, that does it for us this week. This is our final episode of 2022. Uh, We are going on holiday break, so um, we will not be recording next week, which I think is Saturday's Christmas Eve, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it would be Christmas Eve Eve. We will not be putting out an episode (laughs) then, uh, but we'll be back soon after the beginning of the new year uh, as we head back into classes and all that, and we'll start up recording and when we do that, we hopefully will be doing some stuff with Game of the Year. Um, we're taking the holiday break to be able to actually catch up on some games, and everybody won at that time. Also, this being finals week meant that it was not at all going to get done anything with Game of the Year if it had happened the same time as finals. Um, so we'll have all of that when we get back, and we'll have some surprises with that and everything. Uh, Mario, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it's always great to have you fill in and everything. And obviously with Felicia, we just never know where she'll be. Um, you know, there are, there are still controllers out there that have not been updated to the latest firmware. So, you know, she may always be off on a mission somewhere, but you're always welcome to come back and everything. We like having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I guess if I'm going to replace every, anybody, Alicia, maybe for the best, because I know she was not happy with me with my Sonic opinions. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if the, an episode comes where we are on a show together, it might get a little spicy. OJ, OJ's just like, don't worry, we'll have a chair for you. Just give me five minutes in the parking lot with Ryan. And we'll have a new chair open for you. And then Alicia will beat Mario yeah. up in the parking lot afterwards for the Sonic team. opinions. Tag team. <laughs> WWE style. Yeah. I feel like really if Alicia's not going to be here, we need another Sonic apologist. <laughs> I don't know if we have one. I don't know if anybody who's guessed it on the show has been a Sonic apologist. Um, maybe that's why some people we've only had on as a guest once because they they were too fond of Sonic <laughs> and we were like, no, we can't have that on this show. Eventually we're just going to have a big schism. Like <laughs> when there's like a second when there's like two Sonic apologists and two people that are just like no. <laughs> Uh, but for all of our listeners, thank you for listening to us over the past year and everything. This basically isn't a full year of doing the podcast, but it's the first calendar year we've gotten through and everything. So thank you for listening. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, an awesome Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate this holiday season. Enjoy it with your family and friends. 
Uh, be safe out there, and we will be back again in the new year. Bye.